Aloha! A quick announcement before we get into today's episode. We are launching a monthly Hawaii Rising email newsletter. At the end of each month, we'll share some kima na'o from that month's episodes and give you a sneak peek of what's to come. It'll be a great way to stay in the loop when life gets busy and catch up on the amazing work our community partners are doing. You can find a link to subscribe to the newsletter in the episode description. Okay, now on to today's show. This is Hawaii Rising, a podcast from the Hawaii People's Fund. I'm Suyuno Amos. I'm Kenji Cataldo. We're back with our second episode with our new grantee cohort. Today we have an interview with Halealoha Ayao and Mana Caceres. Hui Ivi Kuamo'o has worked for 32 years to provide care for Ivi Kupuna, Moipu, and Mea Kapu through repatriation and reburial. Halealoha and Mana, as well as Kalaihua Caceres, recently returned from London repatriating seven more Ivi Kupuna from the Natural History Museum. Here's our interview from last month, before this latest repatriation. Aloha, we're here today with Hale Aloha and Mana from Hui Ivi Kuamo'o. We're really excited to be talking with you both today. Um, would you just like to introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about Hui Ivi Kuamo'o, how this organization began? Yes. Aloha, I'm Hale Aloha Yao. Um, I'm head of uh, Hui Ivi Kuomo'o. Um, we, Hui Ivi Kuomo'o is actually the, the continuation of the work of Hui Malama Ina Kupuna Ohava'ine, which is a, a, a nonprofit organiza- organization that uh, Arkumu Edward Kanahele and Pualani Kanakaole Kanahele established in 1989. And it was intended to, to train Hawaiians to engage in the care of, of Ivi Kupuna ancestral Hawaiian remains, as well as funerary objects, to care for them uh, through a uh, cultural ceremony, but to also um, find them throughout the world and repatriate them and bring them home. Um, we dissolved, at Antipua's direction, we, we dissolved Hui Malama in 2015, and so those uh, uh, efforts are continuing now under Hui Ivi Kuomo. Aloha kako. My name is Mana Kalilani Kateris. Um, my family and I have been involved with Ivi Kupuna um, issues and situations here on the island of Oahu um, since October of 2012. So uh, this October makes 10 years. Um, a few years ago, um, we got a chance to meet uh, Hale Aloha and um, while we were caring or starting to restarting the conversation with Kauai Ha'o Church and how we can care for their Ivi, you know, our Ivi Kupuna there. And it was through um, those uh, meetings that uh, I myself became a Haumana or student of Hale. And then so um, my wife and I are part of Hui Ivi Kuomo'o and um, which because of our involvement with Hui Ivi Kuomo'o, we've started training on how we can elevate our own um, personal interactions uh, and protocols and ceremony uh, with Ivi uh, Kupuna and uh, also elevate our understanding on how we can um, t- 
take our care to the next level and, and not only uh, malama the kupuna here on Oahu, but also bring them home from uh, the United States and Europe and so forth. Yeah, thank you for that introduction. Before we um, get into some of the specifics of the things that you do to Malama Evi, can you give us a kind of broad overview of um, the the state of Evi across Hawaii and also, you know, how Evi ended up in Europe in, in these places where you're repatriating them from? You know, when we started this work 30 plus years ago, it was really a, the, the focus of Hui Malama's efforts were to respond to what was happening on the island of Maui at a place called Honokahua, where a private landowner um, had obtained permits to begin uh, the construction of what, what is now the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. They knew in those sand dunes at Honokahua that there was Evie. They just didn't know how much. There was no State Historic Preservation Division at that time. It was just start, it was a, actually, a, I think, a, a section of state parks. And the, the land was able to obtain these permits and, and begin the, the excavations. By the time they were done, 1,100 Ivikupuna had been dug up, and which they believe represents about half the size of the, of the burial site. <clears throat> and what that did is it made clear to Hawaiians that in our own homeland, we were powerless to protect our ancestors. Um, and that construction and development uh, was a higher priority than our humanity. And so the Kanakaolis began, uh, the Kanahelis began the work to train us in, in ceremonial protocol, but we had no idea <laughs> about the extent of the problem. We had no idea that, that the state <clears throat> had been, and then private individuals had been excavating our kupuna had been raiding burial caves, had been removing them from, you know, all manners of, of interment, and then removing them from Hawaii to museums and private collections all around the world. So we, we began that work in 1990 uh, with the Smithsonian Institute. And it's, I mean, we're still doing it today. So we've done 133 formal repatriation cases um, in countries all around the world, New Zealand, um, England, Germany, Austria, um, Canada. <clears throat> but it's the, the, the worst part about what we do is there is no way of knowing how well we're doing. <laughs> we have no idea how much EV got taken. <clears throat> and as a result, um, we got to keep scouring, um, you know, the internet and, and and other sources to search out, hunt them down, basically, um, find institutions that have them, and then and then advocate and convince those those institutions to return them. Um, and so, Mana and, and Kalihua represent the next generation of those practitioners who continue the work to keep scouring the planet basically um and, and and you know every time we think we've we were finished with one institution um they have they end up finding more so the london repatriation that we're going on you know that one this will be our third repatriation from them um 
and, and that's happened a lot. So there's no just because we we did a repatriation from a museum, it doesn't mean that in the future they're not going to find additional remains. So even though we've we've repatriated close to 6,500 Ivi um we have no idea whether there's thousands more. We just so that's the the state of um, the situation that we find ourselves in, unfortunately. And so in your work in advocating with these institutions, um, I'm sure you must have developed some strategies about, you know, how to make them cooperate. Um, could you speak about some of those experiences and lessons that you've learned? So, you know, the, the process that we, we engage in, in terms of repatriation, it's really a, a process of decolonization. Because this was a colonial practice to where, you know, white cultures went around the world, especially the, the countries that um, you know, colonized the planet, England, the United States, Germany, France, um, and, and just a part of their uh, efforts to establish their superiority, their, their economic and military superiority, was to collect human remains and to stock their, their museums with them. To, to biologically demonstrate why they were superior. Um, and so the process that we approach um, repatriation is, a, is, is one that's uh, fraught with lingering colonial attitudes. So museums would, would say to us, um, these are the requirements for you to request our material. They would express ownership. They would express, they would uh, objectify the kupuna, uh, treat them as objects. <clears throat> and then tell us that these are the requirements that we have to meet in order to request them back. And so part of the strategy is, you know, you have to, you know, in law school they teach you that when, when, when you're trying to address a, an issue and it's not, the conditions signed in your favor, you reframe the approach, you reframe the, the, the issue. And so our main strategy is to reframe repatriation, not as a request, but as an expression of humanity. And that they, these museums are, were in effect intellectual savages in the past. And for that, and then we're inviting them to restore their own humanity by stop behaving like intellectual savages um, and stop acting as if we need to repeat, uh, prove to them why we qualify <laughs> to bring our ancestors home. So sometimes they would say, oh, you have to demonstrate that you're a, a lineal descendant of these ancestral remains. And I'd always say, you first. You, you, all the tests you're going to put me through, you first. Um, and really, it's about hoping that people grow up in terms of their own intellectual development and that they treat us as the human, fellow human beings that we are. Um, and, and, and so we, we approach it that way. In the early years, 
we weren't as kind because we were very angry. You know, it, I, I, I look back in those times and realize that, you know, we've developed what I call repatriation PTSD. Because every time you read a case and you find out, you know, how they did it, how, what they did and how they did it, when you see a mummified infant that was removed from a burial cave, um, it, I mean, you lose a part of your own humanity because it's hard to, and, and then you multiply that over a period of 30 years and, and it's not always uh, easy to be nice. And in the early years, uh, I, I used to feel like it was my job to hammer museums hammer them into submission. Um, I don't necessarily feel that way now because I see that the more important goal is for both the museums and us to achieve mutual respect and a recognition of each other's mutual humanity. That's far more important because um, other indigenous peoples are also you know, I mean, we are way ahead of most of the world <laughs> in terms of indigenous repatriation. You know, us and the Maoris and the Aborigines. Um, but we recognize that if, if we go too hard against a museum, then it might make it difficult for the next claimant to come through. And so, you know, our, our strategies have evolved. They've matured. Um, and now uh, I think they're, they're far more effective because we don't have to, you know, hammer on these museums anymore. We just have to, um, what I call, uh, intellectually challenge them to behave with grace and with humanity. And the, the real, the real bad ones. They all pride themselves on being like superior in terms of their intellect and their behavior. So when you approach them that way, um, they are more prone to agree and, and to work with you because they, they recognize, uh, you know, like we thought all the pain was on our side of the aisle and we didn't realize that you know, the people today, in the museum officials today, they weren't the ones that did this. But they're the ones that got to have the courage to take responsibility for it. And so a lot of them um, are experiencing their own form of pain. And, and repatriation offers them the opportunity to, to release it. And to recognize that they are now on the, the front end and the, the good end of, of history. That they are undoing what their predecessors did. Um, when when Amanda Kalihu and I went to uh, Germany and Austria in February, all five institutions apologized. They, they're the ones that wanted the public ceremony to publicly apologize. You know, it, normally we don't do that. It's just one more thing we got to do. It was really for their well-being, for their own sanity. Um, and I was proud of them, every single one of them. 
apologize for for what their predecessors did and wanting to to create a new relationship with 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 Hawaiians one that was positive and one that would involve the mutual exchange of of, of knowledge and ideas um, so it's it's our, our strategies towards it has changed over the years it's evolved and you know that's that's the nature of Hawaiian practice I mean you always take <clears throat> you know the, the the knowledge that you have and you constantly improve on it um, that's why one of the things we do following a repatriation is we debrief we talk about what happened we talk about ways that we we can see that could have been um, that we could have done it better because if you just conduct a practice and, and, and don't you know self criticize you're not gonna get better <laughs> at, at doing it and when I say better I mean raising the level by which we are being respectful to our kupuna in their return. Yeah. And uh, Amanda, if you could talk about some of that uh, when we went to to Europe, to Germany, and when you guys went to um, Belfast and, and Edinburgh. Yeah, I think, um, you know, a lot of, or a handful of people was kind of asking once we got back from the Germany trips, like why we had to do the, you know, public ceremony and, and, and all of that. And for me, I think it was the best way now that we're, you know, after our debrief, after that trip, I realized to me, that was the best way to kind of honor our kupuna in doing so, but also to make the, um, the healing begin for, for all parties. I think it would have been one thing for us just to go there and not say a word to anybody, you know, we got the approval already. Let's just pick up our kupuna and leave. But then they're still feeling a certain kind of way, you know, like Hale Aloha just mentioned, these people kind of inherited that kaumaha, that grief, just like how we did, we, we, we inherited it. And I think um, for us to um, eventually after the kupuna is in the ground to be totally um, clean and mai mai and pono with all of that, all of that healing had to take place for everybody. You know, and I think for us to to have um, enough grace and and aloha for our kupuna that we extended that opportunity of healing for the institution itself um, is what is needed, I think, to to end the whole repatriation journey of our kupuna in a pono way. And I, I and I didn't realize how big of an impact that would have on me and my family just to be able to kind of. Um, be a part of that situation from start to finish. Um, you could feel the heaviness of the room everywhere we went um, because, you know, you don't realize that that they're carrying Kaumaha, they're carrying that burden also. And I think for us to, to have, um, you know, made sure that that was um, Kala or, for you know, forgiveness was granted um, was a way for us to bring our kupuna back without inadvertently tying them to any trauma in the past, right? We're trying, we're trying to free them from that trauma and, and in doing so it frees us from that trauma. And, and if we're, we're asking for um, everybody to recognize everybody else's humanity, it's only right that we also kind of acknowledge that their need for that. And the fact that, 
you know, everywhere we went, they apologized. You, everywhere we went, we kind of, you know, we're all looking at each other in our seats like, did they just apologize? And, you know, nobody was, we weren't, I don't, I wasn't prepared for that, for that level of mihi or, or them seeking our forgiveness for the trauma that their ancestors caused our ancestors. So I think that's kind of like the biggest takeaway that we, that, that has happened you know, for me personally on this, on this journey of Hui'i Kuomo'o. And of course, learning that in the international um, stage or the international realm has kind of helped us um, a little bit more in the journey here. Uh, Malama Ivi at home is, you know, if we can offer that to foreigners across the globe, then we should just, we should conduct ourselves with that level of um, respect for ourselves and our kupuna. Always. I'm really struck by this. It's a really powerful message about this kind of reframing you talked about of that really you're inviting them to express their own humanity um, and giving them an opportunity to, to make amends as part of this healing process for everybody. Um, could you talk more about, I guess, the, the training process for people that have, um, you know, come into this, you know, folks like Mana, um, and I guess, you know, who, who is called to this kind of work um, and how you, um, you know, bring them into participating in this, in this really powerful uh, form of decolonization? You know, I, I would say that I don't bring people in. They, they, they bring themselves in. And, and, and it's their kupuna that are directing them towards what we do and, and the practice and the work that we do. So, and, and I say that because we've had a lot of people, you know, who initially from when we started in 1989 till now, who wanted to get involved um, for whatever reasons they had. But um, the one thing that we were it was emphasized on us is that we really had to ground ourselves, anchor ourselves because of, of Kaumaha. And, and when we say Kaumaha, it's not something we, 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 we say lightly um, because it is an intense form of emotional, spiritual, physical harm <laughs> and hurt and distress. And, and it results from the realization that, that our ancestors were disturbed and then taken away and, and literally humiliated. And so the, the, the effort to return them involves the need for healing, um, healing for them, and by doing this work, healing for us. But not everybody can handle that Kalmaha, that heaviness. A lot of the folks that I worked with over the years, over time, just said, you know, I, I did my part and then, you know, I'm, I'm done. Um, but I knew in, in, in this work that uh, what we really needed to do, to do also was to make sure that um, we educated our people in how to process this Kalmaha, how to recognize it, how to process it, how to release it. Um, 
in, in the work that we do and to train the next generation of, uh, of, of practitioners. And, and so the one thing I always say, you know, as, as, a, as a teacher, especially in this type of work, is the one thing you cannot teach is commitment. You cannot teach that. You just hope that the people that you're, that's coming to you um, have their own innate sense of kuleana. And so when, you know, for me, for years, I, even though I, I did a lot of trainings, I never considered, uh, I didn't formally accept students or haumana because I just didn't see that sense of commitment in them. And, and I wasn't going to waste my time or theirs. <laughs> um, and it wasn't too, uh, you know, I don't know how many years ago that I, I accepted my first student, Kihei Nahalea, because um, I saw that, those skill sets in him. Uh, same with, with Mana and Kalihua. I, I, you know, I mean, I didn't know them long, <laughs> but I could see the the required skill to uh, and commitment to to do this work. Um, so, yeah, it's not it's not for everyone. Um, it is, uh, but it's a responsibility that all families have to their own families. You know, the awkward thing about creating a hui to do this work is that it's an unhawaiian thing to do because these are family matters. But we don't know who these people are, so we didn't. You know, we we. We recognize that here's a, a, a contemporary problem that we uh, don't have a that don't have a real direct um, traditional response, but we have traditional values and practices that we can apply to them. And then through Antipua and Uncle Ed, we also have contemporary uh, practices that we can apply to this, this issue to create this new practice because we have no choice. Um, we never had to do reburial ceremonies because in the past it wasn't an acceptable activity to go around digging up Evie. Um, and so, you know, like, like any other indigenous people, we've, we've had to adapt and we've had to create, you know, take our uh, Western education. You know, for me, my background is in law and, and apply it to, uh, uh this, this problem of, of, of being able to advocate successfully and bring them home, um, to apply different skill sets that, that, that we need. Um, shucks, we need somebody to do all of our accounting. We need somebody to find us the best deals and hotels and, and travel. I mean, you know, we need people with, with, uh, with knowledge and understanding. And Hui Mo'o is in an effort to continue Hui Malama's work by bringing those Hawaiians together now so that we can, you know, bring home hopefully all of our kupuna. Um, you know, I say that and right now we're working on a case where this is the third iteration of repatriation from them. The first was in uh, 1991. The second was in 2000, and then now uh, in October, we have to fly back to Maryland to do another repatriation. So I don't have much faith that we're anywhere near the end, well, you know, the end of the line, and that we may never know 
all of them that were taken. But we're going to continue uh, our, our efforts, um, which have also included, and this is really important for, for those listening, is networking with other indigenous peoples and non-indigenous peoples, um, professionals in, in archaeology and anthropology, um, to identify, to share information, share strategy, support each other, <coughs> um, and and take down some of the reluctant museums like Cambridge University that refused to repatriate for almost its entire 800-year history and be the first to bring home our kupuna from them because we uh, we asked them to... Uh, to recognize our humanity because we were um, willing and had the courage to recognize theirs. And so in 2000, we were able to repatriate from them. But that's an example of um, um, us working with other indigenous um, and, and, and professionals who helped weigh in on, on those cases and lend their expertise so that when we advocate, we advocate effectively we use knowledge to box the museums in so that the only way out is for them to return our kupuna. And, and hopefully we do it well enough that they will want to choose that option. Um, yeah, that's, that, that's kind of how, you know, we were approaching the you know, current uh, repatriation efforts. And Hallelujah, I've heard you mention before that, you know, repatriation, this going and getting the EV back from these institutions is really just the first part of the process. Um, could you give our listeners a little outline of like what comes after you get back home with the EV? So let me just touch on repatriation a little bit um, because it's a. Uh, it is no easy task to um, respectfully bring them home, especially if they're in Europe or just anywhere outside of Hawaii because uh, there are security needs that airlines have to maintain, which we all recognize and accept. But one of that is to make sure that they know exactly what's coming on board. And so they want to x-ray the EV or they want us to open them up and expose them. Problem with that is, <clears throat> in traditional Hawaiian values, uh, the is and it means don't expose the bones to the sun or to light. So exposing them, either through x-ray or by you know, physically opening them, is a form of, of desecration. And so we've gotten good enough to the point where the museums support us, we, we talk to the airlines, we speak to the airport security, and we make sure that we can establish what we have through documentation without having to x-ray them, without having to expose them. So I just wanted to say that, that it's not easy just bringing them home um, because, again, we're, we're trying to heal them so we don't want to <coughs> cause them harm in the process of bringing them home. <coughs> But the more uh, challenging part of this work is reburial and um, finding land and landowners that are willing to commit to permanent uh, set aside of these properties 
for the purposes of, of rebearing these kupuna. So being able to identify where they're from, their, their provenance is, is, uh, is of utmost importance. So we know where to take them back to. But then the next challenge becomes finding uh, locations and, and landowners that uh, are committed to allowing the, the, the EV to be reburied. And so what we've done over the years is establish reburial sites throughout Hawaii. And if we have EV from that area, then to try to return them to those uh, reburial sites. Um, I always say that, you know, we there was a time, unfortunately, when we would bring kupuna home from Europe or from the United States, and and we would be uh, treated very well by security, uh, TSA, all of that, and then we come home. And then we try to transport them inter-island, and the uh, the local TSA would give us a bad time, and would always insist on us exposing them, uh, showing them the EV. Um, so, I'm not really sure why that is. Like, why when we're not in Hawaii, we get treated very respectfully. We come home, and we're back to being invisible or or being mistreated by <laughs> in our own. Uh, law enforcement I mean, it's unfortunate and hopefully that improves uh, you know over time but yeah the, the, the hardest part about what we do is uh, reburial sites because it doesn't end when you put them down you have to continue monitoring those sites make sure they're not uh, disturbed um, in one case unfortunately we did a reburial and, and it was a cave and sealed the cave and then um, thieves went in and I was able to break through and uh, remove the, they didn't remove the, the, the EV, they removed the boy pool um, and then sold them on the market. Um, they got caught uh, and got prosecuted. So the downside, another downside to this is um, <laughs> if someone loots a, a burial site a lot of us and the, and the courts, they don't take it seriously. They, uh, I think one guy got probation. One guy got jail time, but he uh, uh, he spent it in a hospital because he claimed he wasn't well. So they, he didn't actually go to you know a prison. Um, I mean, there's there's no real hammer to deter people from disturbing. And so we as Hawaiians and, and as people of Hawaii have to be more vigilant in making sure that uh, uh, these sites are not uh, disturbed and that if Ivikupuna are encountered, that they contact the police and contact the State Historic Preservation Division and that the remains are, are treated properly under the law. And, and if they get disturbed, then uh, are, are, have to be removed, that they are reburied properly uh no easy task um but it's it's the direction that we we have to move in can you speak more about what you would like to see moving forward in the future like what is what is your vision um as a hui and how can people listening who feel called to this work um how can they um get plugged in you know i'm 50 years old um 
So I don't know how much longer I'll be doing this. So I, I think my, my vision for the future doesn't really matter. I, I would I would pose that question to Mana. Yeah, so for the vision that I see for repatriation work in the future, um, like Halilo said, the technologies is, is there. Is it's it's getting a little better. Um, I think when Hui Malama first started going out, they had to, you know, put stamps on envelopes to to send their requests. Uh, not only that, they had to fly, physically fly over to these museums and, and ask to see all the items that they had that were stolen or taken from Hawaii. They had to do a lot of the legwork, uh, paperwork was actual paper, you know. So I see that it, it's getting a little easier as more and more of these institutions are putting their catalog or, or digitizing their catalogs so it's a little easier for us to you know be at home and have a couple of windows open on our computer to to find stuff but um what i see the biggest impact moving forward is just what has been done already over the last 30 years that Hallelujah has been doing this and the traction that we seem to be getting in this new you know this this second chapter of of this work really is um I think being brave enough to go the humanity route and the aloha route, I think is is what's giving us the momentum. And I see that only just gaining more traction. We've already seen it over the last two years that, that I've been doing this uh, repatri repatriation work um, under Hale Aloha, is that more and more of these institutions are seeing what these other, you know, these... Um, those live broadcasts, or, you know, the streamings that we've been doing for the, for other uh, institution, they're seeing that. And I think they want, they see the importance of doing that. And they themselves want that for themselves. You know, I think they're recognizing that um, they need it to heal also. You know, I, I don't think it's um, any accident that it's through Aloha that this work is, is being done, you know, and I, th I think I see that as being um, why it's going to keep gaining traction is because we're like Halilua said, we're not we're not going there and trying to, you know, out logic them in the courtroom, you know, because like Halilua says, you try and bring up laws, then you're going to you're you're basically putting up your own roadblocks because. You know, it's all different foreign countries and foreign um, policies, you know. So instead of going that route, I think Aloha is the way and um, showing everybody that this kuleana really is uh, ohana. And we come into these situations um, as ohana, taking care of our, taking care of the kupuna. And for anyone who's listening, um, who's interested in, either learning more about this work specifically or supporting the work that you're doing, what would be the best way for folks to do so? I think the, uh, it would be to contact um, Desiree Cruz. And I think it's her email is hui, no, it's projectivikuomo'o uh, at gmail.com. That would be the best way. We currently have a, a three-year uh, project, uh, a grant from ANA, in which we're uh, we're holding trainings on each of the islands to train our own our people and 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 those 
you know, non-Hawaiians who want to support the work and all the different skill sets uh, that's required to, to malama iwi kupuna. So we teach kapa making, hinai lohala, uh, iwi protocol training, and, and uahumu pohaku, or dry masonry, to build uh, reburial platforms or to seal caves. Um, so that, that would be the, the most important way to, uh, to get involved. We're just coming up on the end of year one of our, of our project. We did those trainings on Oahu and Kauai. Year two starts on October 1st, and we will focus on Hawaii Island and Maui. And then year three will be uh, Molokai and Lanai. Awesome. And we'll include that, that email address in the episode description um, for anybody who wants to reach out about that. Um, you know, I was thinking about the way you were describing this healing process, and I'm wondering your thoughts on how you see the work that you do fitting into kind of the broader movement for sovereignty, for Aina. Um, what is the connection between repatriating EV, between uh, Malama EV, and all of these other areas um, that people are, are working in? You know, when I... I was trained in, in federal Indian law in, in law school. I went to the University of Colorado. Um, and when I came home, I was having dinner with my grandmother, uh, Harriet Nay. And I was trying to explain to her how excited I was to get into this new field um, and to promote uh, and advocate for Hawaiian sovereignty. And she, uh, she said something interesting that changed the traje trajectory of my entire life and career. Um, she said, because I asked her if she knew what sovereignty um, meant or what it was, and she says, yeah, I think you're referring to our kingdom and that. But, she, but then she says, you know, you know, the house cannot stand strong or stand tall or something like that <clears throat> unless its foundation is firm. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she said uh, that our kingdom, before our kingdom can be restored, uh, we have to bring the EV home. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I'd already been working on EV cases when I was in law school, when I was a third year uh, law clerk at the Native American Rights Fund with a, a, a lawyer named Walter Echohawk. He's considered one of the you know, fathers of the federal repatriation law called the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act. And I did, I, I was his law clerk for two cases involving his own people, the Pawnees. And so I already was starting to work on EV cases, uh, but I didn't think that's something I would, you know, spend a lot of time doing. But when she said that, it made me re really reassess. So to answer your question, the, the role that, the work that we do <clears throat> is intended to restore the foundation of our, of our kingdom. Because my, my grandmother said that the reason why Hawaiians are having a hard time is because our families are, you know, literally our foundation got taken from under us. And that's why we cannot stand tall. And she said, bring the EV home and things are will, will fall into place. I learned later that she was really referring to the EV from Molokai only because in the 50s, the Bishop Museum had come there and, and taken them from Moment, other places, <clears throat> but 
But when I applied her words to the Lahui, uh, Hawaii, um, then I realized that it is true for all of the islands. And so the, the, the work that we do is intended to support the restoration of the Ancestral Foundation. I always teach my students that this is about moving the Lahui forward. Um, and, and, and that is one of the most important you know, aspects of, of, of our, our efforts. Awesome. Mahalo for that. Yeah, mahalo for that really powerful message. Okay. Well, mahalo for speaking with us today. We're really excited to get this episode out for people to listen to. Uh, mahalo for having us. Yes. Mahalo nui. Hawaii Rising is a podcast from the Hawaii People's Fund produced by me. And me. With additional support from... Mickey! Our theme music is Revolutionary from the band Ukla the Mock. Written and sung by Mickey Hui Hui. A big thank you to our community supporters and to you, our audience, for listening. Ahui ho! Dim, spend, and